everybody. Welcome to the Good Share Podcast with Ryan and Ice. I'm Ryan. And I'm Ice. Hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> so you're just telling me, like, all the snow you were getting down there. Yeah, man. It's uh, I went out and shoveled this morning, and it's probably... I have probably five or six inches with like a nice, probably like an inch of ice underneath all that, which for mm. Tennessee, that's like a lot. And I just looked out the back of my house like two minutes ago and it's snowing hard again. Mm. So fun times. I'm over it. Yeah. And they canceled school uh, yesterday for today <laughs> and the next day. And the next day. Like, <laughs> no school. They haven't had school this entire week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I think... <laughs> Tomorrow is supposed to be a little warmer, and Saturday and Sunday is supposed to be like 40s and 50s, so it will all be melting away soon. Oh, I can't wait but for freaking spring I, and summer. I have not left my property since Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will say this, though. I haven't been able to work out or anything other than, like, I've lifted some weights in my garage, my little garage gym set up the last couple of days. Well, not today, but the uh-huh. other couple of days. But uh, I did get out and shovel. This morning, which I don't like the act of doing that, but it was nice to have some physical activity outside. Yeah. Like I, that was, that was enjoyable. I can't stand yeah. snow like at all. Andrea, I think my wife, she likes it a lot and uh, not a lot, but more than I do. Yeah. And I think she likes shoveling because she's done a lot and she <laughs> shoveled the neighbor's driveway. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I just stand at the window with a hot, a hot tea and go, wow, look at that. Oh, oh, you missed the spot over there. Yeah. Man, look at her go. <laughs> that looks terrible. <laughs> nice and warm in here, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems dumb to wish I had a snowblower for, like, the one time this happens every five years. But Yeah, I, I know. I, snow, I really wish I had a snowblower. I don't even have boots. Right. Because it's, oh, wow. it's like so rare, but I wish I mean, I'm out there in like my old Adidas skate shoes. <laughs> the ice is just, or the snow is just, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The snow is just like seeping in over the tongue and it's just <laughs> melting and my feet are frozen. It was great. It's a good time. It was a good way to spend an hour in the morning. <laughs> so <clears throat> the, the idea is that we would maybe continue on our discussion about uh, what we were talking about. At the at the end of the last episode, with, yeah. Well, I feel like we kind of left it like there was more that we should cover. Oh, for sure. So yeah. uh, we were just getting into uh, the landscape and how different it is now versus when we were playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we were in our uh, early early twenties, late teens, right? Yes. Yeah. And <clears throat> then. The only, really, the only thing you could do is be in a room with other guys playing music and recording this stuff in real time. I mean, yeah, yeah, or 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 playing to records Mm -hmm. at home by yourself. Because I mean, we had internet where I lived, but we never (laughs) didn't have dial up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we always we always had dial up. I don't remember living in Coshocton and not having that. That's all we can Same. get, right? Yeah. So, yeah. file transfer stuff. Oh, that w- that was not a thing. Well, no you way. could do it, but you'd have to like save it to a hard drive and mail it to somebody. Exactly. You would send it away, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember reading about that in like Modern Drummer, 
probably towards the end of like high school or maybe like about sending files that way. Well, not through the mail, but like people doing stuff over the internet, you know, in like bigger cities where they actually had faster internet. But that was like such a new thing doing the file transfer session. We're like, Oh, I I did a, I tracked drums on this record for someone in England. You know, I've never met them. Yeah. Right. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that's so crazy. Like that sounds so futuristic. And here and we are. now, now it's like how I'm not going to say most, but like a lot of records are made that way. A lot. A lot Which we, lot. we were talking about this yesterday before we started rolling on the podcast. And it just made me think of like, I mean, I can remember I was in college in Philly in uh, 05. And I remember one of my drum teachers, Eric Johnson, telling us about YouTube. <laughs> like, he's like, have you guys heard of this website called YouTube? <laughs> this was before Google owned it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it had like, it, it was literally still a thing where like people just uploaded. There were like maybe 20 videos on there. Yeah. Like it, very, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like the Google of videos. It was just like a web page. And it's like what there was is what you could watch. And they were like home videos or like funny things. The quality things. was pretty rough. And oh, yeah. It, sometimes it would take forever to pull. You, you remember <laughs> well, when you were still in Kashokton? Yeah, right. Do you remember like where there would be days where it wasn't even accessible? I remember where. I, you, I, don't, rem- I don't remember that. I, but remember, I, I don't remember doubt it. When you t- I typed in YouTube.com or whatever and went and there was. A blank white page. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. <clears throat> yeah. So, I don't know if too many young people even realize that Google did not, they did not build YouTube. Or YouTube. Right. Right. I yeah, don't even know I, who I, did it. I always, I always forget that Google owns it, to be honest. To me, like, I still think of it as YouTube. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I don't know either. But my point with that was going to be like, today... I think if you're, what, 10 years younger than me, maybe not even that much, but I think it's safe to say if you're 10 years younger than me, if you're like in your mid-20s, it's it's like normal for you to have grown up thinking, oh, well, I can record at home and send files to people. And I don't ever have to like play in a room with people or the other part of that is like YouTube or other social media. I can like just play drums over this song. I really like and do a drum cover video Mm. and, and upload it. And, and like if you, if you monetize that and you do that a lot, then you can be like, well, I'm a professional musician. I make money doing that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that people that do that aren't good. There's a lot of people that do that. Probably play circles around me on drums, but like to me, that is not, you're missing the biggest, most fundamental like skill and perk of playing music. And that is like the fun of playing with people. Yeah. Yep. And 
if you if you grow up never really understanding that, like I, I to me, it's oh, really hard to think weird, like. Isn't it? It's really hard to think like, oh, just playing drums in my room and doing tracks for people. That's just that's how it is, and it's that's like, all I know, right? That would that's be all. all I, that's all I know. Like going and doing a session in the same studio with people, like a full rhythm section tracking. That's a whole nother experience. That, yeah, and it, it like there's pros and cons to both, but it, I really feel like. <clears throat> I mean, I do a lot of file transfer stuff now, it, partly because that's just the way the wor- world works. It's financially uh, easier for artists to, to do that because you don't have to go rent out a big studio and mm-hmm. pay for an engineer. Although I was thinking about this the other day. And you know how people say, oh, well, well it's cheaper to do it that way. And it's like, well, it's only cheaper to do it that way. For the artist. Yeah. Everyone else that's involved, like, has, has to make an investment that they don't really see a return on money-wise. Right. For instance, if, if like, I'm a nobody, but let's say I was somebody, and, and it was 20 years ago, and I got called to do a session, like a record for somebody. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is show up with my gear. But I'm. I right, have like which, a guarantee. Which, which, I have a guaranteed your, your drums, drums and any percussion, whatever. Like, but you wouldn't necessarily have to bring any cabling or any uh, microphones yeah. or preamps and, or console. And, <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but I've got a guaranteed day rate or a, a session block rate or whatever, and that's what I'm making mm-hmm. today. And I guess I was thinking about this because I just had to make an investment to replace some stuff that went bad. Yep. After a year of like, no, really for uh, all intents and purposes, like not really working. I mean, I think we did very little use. We did about 10 shows with David last year. Oh, right, right, right. right. So, so like financially, I'm not in the best spot I've been in, in my career, but this, the studio where I can actually track for people is one of the few things I can do during a pandemic that makes a little bit of money, but I have to be able to record. So if I have gear that, that goes bad and I can't do that, well, I have to be able to do that. Right. And for drums, so, sorry, for drums. Yeah. For drums, it's the worst. It's the worst because you have to have multiple inputs and <clears throat> you have to have good not like the best but you have to have good uh, uh outboard gear like it's yeah, just it's yeah. just part of it it's not like if a you're guitar player where you can have one really super nice preamp yeah one input and you're done yeah or like a keyboard player who doesn't need any preamps not like re- if they're just playing you yeah. know so i say all that to say i'm not trying to sound like an old curmudgeon but if you really think about it like yeah, the label, if there is one involved, or the artist, whoever is paying, they're saving money. But I'm actually making less yeah. as a session player than I would have even 10 years ago, probably. But then I would have being called into a studio and getting getting a session rate for a three-hour block or, or a day rate or however I set it up. Now I'm making like 100 bucks a track 
or, or 50 or 75, mm-hmm. whatever I negotiate with the, the person. But that really, a hundred bucks a track, I, I can like, that covers me playing. Yeah. But I've invested, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars I mean, into having just, having a studio in my computer so I can do that for you. I mean, just but the I, two hardware pieces that you needed, you've got like almost three grand wrapped up in just two things. Two things. And we're not yeah. even talking about your several thousand dollars worth of drums. Uh, yeah, I've got, you know what five drum kits in here microphones cabling mic stands like things that you think oh they're whatever well like a good mic stand oh is yeah. expensive oh yeah a good my a good quality <laughs> studio mic stand because it, it can be anywhere from a hundred dollars for a decent straight stand up to uh i think the one i saw from triad was right around Oh, and they're like, yeah, they're like ridiculous, but, but yeah, but like the extremes of that. So I guess my point is the, the only people it's really helping are the artists. Yeah. You know, but, and like, if they're on a label, I don't care what anybody says, a label still makes money and they can pay more than what they want to pay. Mm hmm. To get music recorded, but we live in an age where like, and I'm not, I'm not going to get on a box about streaming. That's a whole nother podcast. And I, I have, I have Apple music out of necessity because when I would learn songs for someone on Broadway, if they're, if they, if there's songs on that list that I don't know, you can get access to them rapid. I, I, I can create a playlist and I can listen to them, but most of the time there's songs that I don't really want to. I don't want to own. I'm not going to go out and buy, I'm not I'm right. sorry. I'm not going to go out and buy an FGL record. I'm not even going to pay 2 bucks to download their single on my phone. Like I'm just not. It's not music that I want to invest in. Right. But I can justify $10 a month or whatever it is in streaming so I can at least have access to it so I can learn the song. Yeah. Right. But we live in an age where music society in general looks at music as like something not worth investing in. So I get the fact that it doesn't make the money it used to. Therefore we can't invest the money into making it, but that's part of the reason music isn't that good. I think it really is. You you get what you pay for. And if you're not paying for it, you can't expect it to really be any better than it is. Right. Either in a, either in a quality of content or in a quality of like the, the recording e- either yeah. one, you know, right. you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, yep, for sure. You know, like, um, that's a whole other thing. But my point of that was I wouldn't be, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm super session guy, but like, I don't, had I not developed the skills uh, doing sessions with people in person, live in the same studio, it would make this a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Because you you learn how to like offer up an idea in a very like diplomatic 
way or an unattached way. Like if when you're on the floor with four other guys and you're trying to figure out something cool for the bridge and you, and you, and I say something and then like, let's say I say it in a way where it's like, well, this, this sucks. Let's try this. That's not really going to go over well. No. You know, if we're, (laughs) if they get to like, like say the acoustic players, like really like, well, what if we do that? And I'm like, no, that's terrible. That's awful. Let's do this. (laughs) Guess what? I'm not getting called back to play with those people. No, no. But if you say it in a way of like, yeah, let's try it. And you do a pass and you're like, well, Hey man, I like that. But what if you did this instead of, or did this with that or, or maybe change it just a little and also learning to be unattached to your ideas. Best idea wins. That's. That's how yeah, I it should always be about serving the song. Best so, idea but, wins. But if you've only grown up like just in your bedroom tracking drums for people and you have correspondence via email where you can't read someone's tone because you mm. can't really hear them talking, you don't know if they're, you know, you, you can't hear the delivery. I I think people are, you're, you're more inclined to be attached or be defensive of a choice you made. Yeah. And I just think as a session player, your goal should always be to play for the song <clears throat> and yep. to, to serve the other, especially as a drummer, to serve the other musicians and make everyone else sound the best that they can. But if you're not in a room with those people and you don't even hear what the other parts are going to be yet, because let's say you're just tracking to like a, a, a uh, demo of a, a vocal on a piano or yeah. a vocal and acoustic. Yep. A very slim rhythm. How section. can you? You have to be able to think like you're in a room with other people playing and what they might do. But if you've never done that, how yeah. do you do that? Oh boy! Do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying because we've we've been transferring stuff back and forth, right? And yeah. whenever I send you something, I have a very very loose uh, idea of what drum part I used to kind of build the basis of what I kind of thought of, right? Um, and I try to complete my thought. Uh, and most of the stuff I we've been bouncing back and forth has been instrumental. Um, yeah. Not much vocally driven uh, content. But um, I, I try to play the thing I think s- sounds nice, like the hook or the riff. <clears throat> and then the other part of it, I try to leave it kind of open. But it's really tough if you're talking like bass part because bass and drum, man, they go yeah. they're together. So I hate I hate sending you something um that has a bass line in it because I don't necessarily want you to follow it exactly unless it's riffy. Sure, sure. Right? Or if it's like if it's like a like a like a vocal, like a pop tune. I mean, chances are the bass and drums are usually going to be locked. Yeah. At least somewhat. Right. Yeah. Um, but I hate sending too much to <sighs> See, that's the other thing. Like people that aren't familiar with producing have a very um, unrealistic idea of what that is. Like they, yeah, yeah. like some people that say, I think I'd make a great producer usually aren't going to be good producers because they believe that the way you produce is you tell everyone what to do. And producing is actually the exact opposite of that. It's 
letting everyone know the big picture, like here's here's where we are. This is where we want to go. Take me there, you know? And yeah. they let the musicians do what they do best, which is create these interesting parts because no one's played the same parts more than the guys that cut the stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just made me think like I can remember sitting in, you know, watching sessions at the tracking room with you or even what was, uh, was it the fun house? Was that the, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I went with you and Timmy a couple of times and we, there was one at, uh, Oh man, what was that uh, one that we that, that, Yeah, yeah. Right and then the, what right was the row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what was the one that <laughs> when I visited before I moved here and I came down with Timmy, uh we were in the B room. I can't think of the studio. Uh Oh my gosh, what is that studio? I can picture the A room and the B room. Oh my god. Uh, it's down there down past Belmont. It's not uh, uh Oceanway. I mean, no, we not were Ocean Way, but yeah, yeah, Ocean Way a lot, but no. Was it uh, 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 West Tone or not West Tone? Was it West Tone? No. Oh, it's going to be so frustrating. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, Britt Mason play guitar. Sound Emporium. Sound Emporium, thank you. Oh the B room. Gosh. But I forgot. Anyway, <laughs> sidetrack. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I remember, all those different, all those sessions especially ones at the tracking room, but all of those were like different things. Like some were demos, some were limited pressing, some were master sessions, you know, like the, and they were all different producers and all different players. The common thing I remember is that a good producer gets good players that he likes, that he also knows work together well. And yeah, I, they don't have to say much. I mean, records can be produced a lot of different ways, but the, I remember just thinking like, man, most of these producers aren't saying a whole lot and they definitely weren't dictating like you do this and no. I want you to voice, voice it this way and play this fill here. If they did offer anything, it was never specific. It was really conceptual to like get a spark going between the players yeah. to develop something. Right. You know, unless there was like, Something on a demo that was like a real signature licky thing that it was like, listen, we, we, I need that in there because the A&R person from the label really likes that hooky guitar thing. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, a good producer gets players that he can trust to play the right thing. Yes. Right. And you talking about me and you sending files back and forth. That's it's kind of not the norm just because you and I played together for so long that I think a, we, we kind of can think about what each other's going to do, but like, I, I'm assuming in, from your perspective, you probably send me something and trust me enough that you don't have to give me a whole lot of direction. Yeah. Uh, unless there's something really specific you want. You're just like, Hey, you know, what would you do on this? Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like it, 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 it's as simple as this. <clears throat> a lot of these producers I worked with alongside when I was engineering in Nashville, um, they did exactly what you said, and and <clears throat> the majority of them were very talented musicians. Like some of them could honestly play just as well as anybody out on the floor. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, just like mostly everyone, uh, they are good in one particular instrument. Like my strong one is guitar. I can play others, but my strong one is guitar. I yeah. can't play drums. Like I've tried playing drums and I think I could catch on, but I'm just not a drummer and drummers, drums yeah. just don't do it for me. Right. Sure. Sure. <clears throat> so knowing that, uh, it would be silly of me to try to write your part. Right. Because I, <laughs> right. Uh, sure. I could, I could tell you, yeah, two and four here. And we're going to do a double, uh, every other bar here. You're going to drop the snare, uh, every other bar at this point, And we're going to go to cut time. Sure. I, yeah. But when it comes down to, if there's a riff, if there's a part in the song where it's changing sections, uh, I honestly am not going to be able to make a good decision of right. what the fill should sound like or play like because I'm not skilled in that. And if I tried to write it in a MIDI format, it's going to come out like a guitar <laughs> player writing a fill. Yeah. That's just yeah. what's going to happen. So the tossing back and forth of the songs, right? That's a whole nother thing about what this does, right? So t if you want something that's um, being collaborative, you know, it's a collaborative part, right? Yeah. Not just a phone in, I need a drum part on this song. <clears throat> there's, a l there's more back and forth happening because from my, from my end, what I have to do is I have to be careful and very um, methodical as far as like a bass part because I don't want to influence you to a point where it locks you into something where you may have a better idea. Right, because sure, the drums sure. have a certain pocket and feel certainly. So what I do is I lay down my riffy guitar stuff that I know this is gonna stay. This is not gonna go either way. This will stick. And then when there's the sections where there's <clears throat> sixteen bars of whatever that are going <laughs> by, I do a very basic ba bass guitar pass. Then I send that to you, right? You send me back your drum thing. Then I lay bass again. Right. It's a whole nother process of me recutting over top. Yeah. <clears throat> that is another, uh, that's another uh, uh, cost. Right. Right. Is because you have to get an initial concept, send it, you send it back. I hear what you do, and then it influences my decision. Right. And then sometimes Which, I have to send it back again. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, so, you know, sometimes the whole file transfer thing can be, it can definitely be easier in the sense that you don't have to try and get four or five people to all agree on a day that they're in town, that they can be at a specific place sure. and work together. But that whole thing we just described would happen in the span of 10 minutes or five minutes if we were all on the floor together. Absolutely. Because the bass player is reacting in real time to what I'm doing and vice versa. And it would probably so, feel so, better. Well, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. But like we, we can come to an agreement on parts in real time. Yeah. So it isn't like, okay, I, I spent five minutes tracking this and then I'm going to, spend two minutes bouncing it to a two mix 
yeah. then I'm going to email it to you. And then, oh, well, you'll open the email when you get to it, which could be an hour later. Well, then you, you're like, okay, well, let me try this bass. Well, now I really, I like what you did there, but it made me do this on bass. So can me maybe just punch this one section because I think this, and then I, it's tomorrow until I get right. You know, right. and like, it's like, man, that would have happened in 20 minutes. We if, would ha- we would that. have a whole a whole track done in 20 minutes. Yeah. All that stuff would have happened within the span of 20 minutes. We'd right. be moving on to the next song. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so there are pros and cons to both. The the one thing I do like as far as a pro to to doing it in my own space is that I have access to all my gear. Sure. Right. So it's like, man, if I hear something where I want to change out a kick drum or I want to throw up a bunch of different symbols or, you know, I, I mean, you can't see the shelf and they're not all on the shelf right now. But I've got like not that I'm not bragging. There are dudes that have way more snare drums, mm-hmm. but like I've got like 12 different snare drums. Right. It would be impossible. And I've got, you know, I mean, five, five different bass drums here. Like I couldn't bring all that even if on you, a session. Even if you did. <laughs> right. You would be under the gun with switching yeah. that stuff, right? And then it's like, oh, well, if I made if I make the wrong choice, well, then I just wasted ten minutes pulling this bass drum out, putting this one in, and he then the engineer's got to dial it in, and then oh well, I actually like the other one better, right. or or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> and then okay, the assistant well, has to go I'm, round everybody up from the lounge and pull them back yep, into the room. Yeah, yeah. And so I just cut into the budget there yeah. because I've wasted time at uh, 10 minutes. That's we could have been on our way to another song mm-hmm. where here, at least I'm not wasting anybody's time, but my own. Yes. Right. You know, but, but the other, the, the con of that is you don't have instant feedback. No. And I might, I might think it is the right choice, but then it's the whole thing of, well, then I send it to you and you go, Oh, I don't know, man, that kick drum sounds a bit woofy for this. Mm-hmm. And I really, I think, think the hi-hats you use before were you know like all this stuff that i don't have uh the producer and and five or six other people kind of reacting to like i don't know man you know yeah and i know that yeah i'm the drummer and it should i should make those calls but it at the end of the day it comes down to who's paying you so if it's a producer the artist and they don't like it well then you you do what they want but, but, you know, we're talking like with all those decisions just being made, if you were doing it in a file transfer way, that's like three days. Yeah. And this realistically, all, this all realistically back to the value. <laughs> right. Right. Because there Which, are, there are people. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, say pull, I'm pulling back from yeah. this. Right. So there are people that are like, I don't hear the difference. Right, I don't hear the difference in those hi hats. I don't hear the difference when fourteen and sixteen inch hi hat. I don't know what you're sure. talking about. This is silly, yep. right? So there's people that have their kit or their thing tuned in, right, and they never change any of it, regardless yeah. of the genre or the the song. They just change <clears throat> the way they play, the feel, you know, that yeah. sort of. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or whatever. I'm just saying that that is another indication of value on music today. Because if you can crank out 10 songs in a day for, for, for people and not change a thing, because most of them don't care, they right. just want to hear boom, tap, boom, tap, right? <laughs> right, they right. They don't care what it sounds like. And oh, did he use a 22-inch kick? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if yeah. I can handle that. You know, yeah, right, not right, gonna, right. So 
there you go again. Uh, and the reason why a lot of stuff sounds very similar. Well, yeah. And you know what? The, the other side of that is, and I even remember thinking this when I moved here, but when you first get here, you're so like kind of enchanted and really like, uh, enthralled with like how everything works and, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just like, Oh, this is how it works. And I want to be a part of that machine. Right. But I, and, and I, I've, I know I've mentioned his name several times, but Shannon Forrest is like a, a big, uh, I always seem to like key in on things he says. And then I realize like, Oh, that's like how I'm feeling. But then I feel more justified. Cause it's like, Someone who's worked in the town for 30 years. And has had the hits and the has, calls yeah, that this dude like, had. Like, he feels the way I feel. But sometimes I feel like, well, maybe I'm not allowed to feel that way because I'm, I've am i never really, I haven't had the success that he's had. Mm-hmm. So what do I know? Do you know what I mean? Yep. But I remember thinking, like, sometimes it just seemed like guys were trying to, like a, like a three hour session block, like sessions working three hours. So you like 10 to one and then like a two to five and then a six to nine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it would just seem like, okay, well we've got three hours. So that's like, if we're trying to get five or six songs done in a three hour block, if it's like a demo session or even if it's a, a record, some records are made that way. Like that's cranking, man. So, so by 10 30, 10 40, we got to have at least a song done. It just seemed like guys, everyone was so, they were so concerned with like the hands on the clock yep. instead of really listening to like, well, do you have a product that actually sounds good? Mm-hmm. And Shannon talked about this. He, uh, he said like even early on in his career, he would be like, this can't be how the records that I grew up loving were made. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you have a song when you have a song. Yeah. Not like, well, it's almost time to go to lunch, so I guess we got we got this one in the bag. It's like, well, <laughs> right. maybe you do, but if you really listen to it, maybe it sucks. Yeah. You know, but like, well, I got to go get that salad, so we'll we'll come back and we'll get, we'll get on the next song. I don't know, like it, it's tough. It can be tough to to accept or realize that like the business side of music really dictates music mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> a lot more than you think growing up, you know, and especially I know I've said this before too, but like I didn't grow up listening to country. Right. Um, and so like a lot of the rock bands, like, I think the LA thing was different, especially if you were a band, because if you were a band that had success, you had a label or, or if you had success and you were several records in, well, then you had the money yourself, but you could just go rent out a studio for a month and maybe you did pre-production, everything there. And there wasn't a time limit because mm-hmm. you, you're not session players trying to crank out something like you're a band. So your ultimate goal is to make the best record you can make. And I think there should be some kind of meet in the middle of that attitude of like, yes, we should do this in a timely fashion because there's a lot of money involved. 
especially if you're not like that type of thing. Like when someone hires me, it's not my money on the line. Right. Right. So I should respect that. Yes, we are trying to get this done because studio time is expensive and paying for an engineer and a, and a assistant engineer and all that, like all that stuff costs money. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I do wish sometimes that, and it stems from everybody. It can be the attitude of the producer and the artist and the record la- label. Like, I do wish more sometimes that people valued what they were creating as much as they valued the time in which it took to create. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. I even I even feel that way with, like, guys on Broadway. Like, there are some players that are good players, but they're so caught up in, like, just being part of the the machine that keeps perpetuating the same stuff over and over instead of really looking at like, but is there value in that? Like, sure. You're like working a lot down here and, and you can play all these different songs, but like really who cares? Cause the songs aren't that good. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, uh, there was a guitar player that I just played with back in December and we were talking about another guitar player that we both know who's the, the guitar player we were talking about is a very, very good friend of mine. Probably one of my three favorite guitar players. Um, and who usually does that gig and this guitar player was subbing, but he was like, yeah, I just wish, you know, like he could be such a monster in this town if he if he really just cared more about, if he took some more time to like really put himself out there and like, he was basically saying like, become more a part of the the scene. Mm -hmm. But if you know this guy that we're talking about, which I know that you do, you can probably guess what I'm talking about, but like, yeah, that's not, that's never been a thing he cares about. Like he does those gigs and he's really great at them. But like, he cares more about developing a voice on the instrument. Uh. And I mean, we're in a band together and I think that band, we don't um, spider wolf. If anyone cares, like it's not a thing that we devote a lot of time to, but when we do devote time to it, like we care about it. Right. And we've never done session ever where it's like, Oh, let's Okay. They're you know, TJ brings in these three song ideas. Let's crank them out. It's like, well, maybe we will, but if we only have time to get two, but we get two really kick ass songs, you develop them. That's way more important. Yeah. You know, I don't ever want a band I'm in to sound like session guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't ever want to sound like, oh, yeah, that's clearly his second take. And after that, he stopped caring. It's like, maybe it's my 50th take, but I still. I'm still not getting what I want. Right. No, I got you. So it was just, it was an interesting comment and it kind of told me a lot about that guitar player and like what he valued. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's just like, I don't know if I totally align with that thought process anymore of like just being the guy that everybody calls and is working all the time. And it's like, yeah, but a lot of those guys that work all the time, they're not like my favorite players. Hmm. Not saying that they're bad, but they're not like, I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Gotcha. 
You know, like the players I like playing with are probably not like the best guitar player, the best bass player, but they're my favorite people to play with because they have a thing that they do. And when I play with them, I feel like their thing and my thing work really well together. Yeah. And they, they make me play better and they tell me the same thing that they play better. You know, like this guitar player we're talking about. I remember once we did a gig with another artist that we work with and it had been like probably a year since we played with this guy. And it was a a bass player that we, that, okay. I'm just going to say it was Ben Owens on guitar. (laughs) One of my favorite guitar players and corn Perry playing bass, which is basically three fourths of spider wolf. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but we were playing for this artist that we have recorded and played for a bunch, Tom Shrek, but it'd probably been like a year since we had played a show with him. Mm-hmm. And this was like three or four years ago, maybe even longer ago than that. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to do this show. Let's, let's do it. And we, and we miraculously we were all off the road so we could do it. There was no rehearsal or anything. It was, and, and it was like, I think it was like a record release or something. It was like kind of, <laughs> Not like a big show or a lot of people sure. there, but it was like important to Tom sure. that it goes well. You know, right. you just want to go and tank it. Right. And we all we had all played on the record, so we were learning or relearning our parts that we played. But I'm not someone who really listens to a lot of the stuff I've done once I've done it. So, you know, I can play on a record and then not hear it for months and then be like, oh, I don't remember how this song goes or whatever. But I... uh we showed up and we did like two songs at Soundcheck, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I just remember we went out and grabbed a bite to eat before the, the show. And Ben and Corn, like we, the three of us hadn't played together in any context for like a long time. And Ben was like, man, when the three of us are together, it's just like, like this big comfy couch where you can just like fall back into it. And it's like, it's just there. And <laughs> it's like not going anywhere. And it's great. And it's like, we, He's like, I, we don't have to think about right. what we're doing. Like it just happens. Cause we have this thing. We played together in the Chris Weaver band for like seven years. Right. We're the only people we played with pretty much for seven years. So we developed a relationship of like, I mean, I'm not joking when I say this, there were nights when corn and I would make a mistake in the exact same place of a song <laughs> playing with Weaver. <laughs> like not, not not like a mistake like anyone would notice but like just some like weird pattern in the kick drum bass thing or something and only he and i would notice but we would laugh so hard because it's so like funny man you can't really get much tighter than that no. if you're making mistakes together like yeah. because like i know what you're talking about it's something as simple as um from my perspective anyway would be uh you hear just the ever so it's 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 um what do they call it in movies a uh, uh, um um uh, a for, uh, 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 foreshadowing yes yeah, yeah. there's a foreshad yeah. there's a foreshadowing with that stuff yeah like for me it's ringer and ramiro yeah right? those two yeah, guys how, how how long did you guys play together with Higby? we played not only I mean, we played. I mean, I know you played more, but like, I'm just using that's that the as thing. An we, we played a yeah. short. We should play. Well, we played in Nashville together quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, this last run that we did with Chris Higby, we <clears throat> played uh, together for I think two, maybe three years together. Yeah. But it was a lot of shows, and yeah. a lot of these shows are you know three hour shows, and it was we were just uh, we were exposed to each other a lot. But the foreshadowing, right? So 
I know exactly what you're talking about. Like you can anticipate what is about to happen because there'd be times where I'd hear Tim ringer, uh, like it would be like a millisecond on his hat yeah. in, in, in one way or the other. And I knew where his foot was going to fall. Right. On right. the next beat. And, and Ramiro, if he played, uh, a, a just one beat, one direction or the other, I knew that he was about to do a, um, like a swing feeling of a <laughs> yeah. fill on a straight yeah. four on the floor groove or vice versa. Right. But it, yeah, it's those little tiny things. And what's funny is when you start getting that like developed or attached to playing together like that in real time. <laughs> Sorry, my leg just cramped up all this. <laughs> Golly. Is when you start playing together a lot a lot like that in that capacity. Um you wind up listening to one another more than you think. Yeah. Because you develop, you know, muscle memory, neurons. Yeah. yeah. Start firing and you're used to hearing them play a certain way. So as soon as they don't, you cause a domino effect yeah, yeah. of whoopsie daisies, you know? Yeah. Because uh, no, it's like, oh, that was un, un, unanticipated or whatever. Right. And see, like, I can just tell the way we're talking about this. Like, that is, that's the fun of playing music. It's like, I don't, there, it's very rare that I think back to a gig and I think of, like, something cool that I played. Mm. It's, uh, the things I think back to are, like, the interactions I had on stage. Like, that's what ma- that's what makes a good show. For instance, I'm going to do two stories. Okay. But that, this just made me think of that. Um. I remember early on when I was with David, there'd be nights where I would like come off stage and I felt like, man, that was a good show. Like I felt really locked in with the the click and it just felt like, man, really good. And, and the other guys, or especially David, like would come off and it, it was never like, oh, he thought the show sucked or whatever, but he wouldn't be as like jazzed as I would be internally about how good I thought the show went. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there would be nights where I felt like, Oh, I was a little loose. Not, I didn't feel like I was as tight as I, as I should have been, but I could just tell like the whole show, you know, David's energy is like really up and he's on a talk back mic. Like, you know, just saying stuff, mm-hmm. which usually almost all the time, that's good. If he's like really chatting, cause he's like fired up and then you get back on the bus after the show and he's like fist bumping and he's like, he thinks the show is great. And I, I'd be like, man, I, I feel like I personally had a, a terrible, <laughs> yeah. you know? Right. But what that taught me, and it took me a, a months to like put this together is that David isn't listening to like, Every 
nuance. Well, like time, like time, your time should be good. But I mean, you're gonna have nights where oh, I'm a little up on the click, or I'm I'm just a little weavy, or whatever. Like maybe maybe I ate something different, or I didn't get a run in that day, or maybe I'm just really feeling the crowd, so I'm over energetic, right? Mm-hmm. And I would. I'm like trying to dissect that in real time as it's happening, feeling like, man, I'm just flaming with the click all over. And this, this show's not going great. And I should really control, like, <laughs> rein it in. Right. Right. But David isn't listening to that. He's not being super over analytical about what he, the things that I'm thinking are terrible. He is just feeling as energy. Mm hmm. And that is what is making him feel like the show is good or bad. Right. Because the nights where I feel like I'm really locked in, maybe I'm not playing as hard. Um, or maybe maybe I'm not conveying, even whether it's, it doesn't even have to be like a volume thing or mm-hmm. velocity thing. But like maybe just by playing a bit more controlled, I feel like, man, I'm really locked in. Gosh, this feels good. Like bass and I are really locked in. But he's not getting that... <clears throat> That kick in the pants from me, right? Well, that, it's, it's that about... he wants, and and you can say what you want about a good or bad drummer in a band, but there is no doubt that the energy, the the generation of energy, like that is the drummer's number one job. Live is to generate yep. energy, make people and move. That that like, no matter how energetic the rest of the instruments are, they don't have the same kind of power. That drums have to convey it. Percussion is, and that's so I'm not trying to Im- like. No, it it is a <clears throat> massively important part, but I think it's a fundamental, uh, 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 deep down ancestral. Uh, what am I trying to say? Um, like a like a visceral. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The. Um, the beating of a drum. The the percussion. Oh yeah. Well, the, it 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 stems from like that drums you know you can go back to like a guy with two sticks on a log like they they started as a form of communication so drums are communicating energy to the audience and to the people you play with like so all that to say like i i started there's still nights where i'm overly critical in the moment of myself because like come on i should play this song a thousand times how are you rushing that that last bar of the bridge or, or whatever. But like, I guess once you know that like, okay, well the, whoever I'm playing for isn't going to fire me because, Oh, you were really up on the click there. at the end of the bridge. Like <laughs> he loves that shit. Right. You know, he, he wants that kick in the pants. It's a feel. Now I can't just go racing off and ignore everything else that's happening, but, but, that I think that as a live drummer today, that's like your biggest challenge and the thing you should work on because almost everything you do is going to be tied to a click and tracks. Yeah, for for ninety percent of the show, so you can't just use a like a tempo, like a tempo change or a, a feel shift. Like you can't just use that to generate energy. It has to be more in like. The feeling you create while you're playing. Yeah. Where, you where you're dis- laying your backbeat. That's like, right. All, all that kind of stuff. Where you decide to lay the pocket <clears throat> of that song. Yeah. Or that particular section at that particular time. Right. 
And it's as so, simple as just moving a note. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, like, how, I mean, how do you place your high? Like, everyone has a natural pocket. Every instrument, that you, no matter what you play, everyone yeah. has a natural pocket. Yep. But you should be, and I'm still working on this. I'll work on it until the day I die. But you should strive to, like, be able to manipulate yeah. your natural pocket to what serves whatever you are playing in the moment, whether it's an entire song or a section of a song. Because a lot of times, like a verse, maybe you want it to lay back more. And then the chorus, you can get a little bit more on top. Right. Or or vice versa. Maybe you want the verses to, to be a little angsty and on top. But when you get to the chorus, you really want it to, like, bloom and open and have this open, big feeling. Like, come way well, back. I'm going to try and lay the snare drum on the backside yeah. of, of the click. It's amazing how much... Even at 90... And we're talking like mic oh, yeah, milliseconds. Yeah. You but know? it really is like when you're performing, it's amazing like at 90 BPMs how much space you have. I mean, any tempo. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I'm just calling Well, the, the faster it gets, the harder it is to do. It is. Because you do have less space to work with. Right. But but yeah, I think anywhere between like 90 and 100 is a real magical tempo too. Or I would even say like between like 80 and 100. I was going to say 80 and 100. That, like... Yep. You can manipulate the feel. You can a lot. Yeah, you get much slower. Like around sixty-five, it can it can it can bite you. Um, it, yeah. It, it, the, what ends up happening is if you go behind, it winds up dragging like hardcore. Right. Right. But yeah, eighty and a hundred are probably my favorites. Most of everything I've ever listened to pop wise has been right there in between yeah. those two time signatures. I don't yeah. even know if time signature is the right way. Tempos. To say it. Tempos. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, that's something that uh, I learned uh, quickly when we started playing music together the very first time um, because you were super into Dave Matthews Band. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I, who, who wasn't back then? <laughs> I, I didn't pay much attention. I mean, I listened to, to it and I appreciated it, but it wasn't something that was earning me money on the weekend. So it, right, it right. was not something I devoted a bunch of time to. Plus, it was complicated. You know, it sounded complicated, especially from a from somebody that just plays straight uh, four sure. by four country music, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, but when you came in and you start playing a lot of this stuff, it made me like when I took lessons, uh, people thought that people think, I think the, a, lot, a lot of folks that know that I take lessons th think that I took lessons to learn how to play guitar. And some of that is true. Like I learned how to play st some stuff and technique I learned to clean up. But the majority of my lessons was around music theory and, and understanding yeah. how notes and chords and all this stuff work together and how they're related and this, that's something I keep pushing myself further and further every time I get involved to uh, to understand the relative pitch or the relationship between a chord and the the next one, right? Right. It just makes you a more well more well rounded player. Yeah, for sure. So the one thing I didn't get involved in much was time, right? So time was just not something I thought about a whole lot. Now when you came in. And uh, started playing some of these wacky beats, these wacky, <laughs> fresh, hip beats that you were playing. Yeah. You were laying oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they were fresh and hip. I remember you were playing something, and I wound up playing, and you were like, hey, drop that note and play it. 
And I'm like, so I, I play it slow and I'm like, like this. And he's like, you're like, yeah, yeah, that, but drop the last note. And I'm like, okay. So I play it again. And you're like, no, no, no. Now put the first note where the last note, I'm like, like this. And I played it and it sounded really weird. You're like, yeah, that's cool. Just keep playing that. And you had me play it. And I just played it over and over and over. And then you played what essentially was a th- I was playing a three, four, over okay. a four four that you were playing, but I was coming back every third third oh, bar. I do remember this. Yeah, yeah right. Is yeah. is it every third? It's every third bar. It's something. Yeah, third or fourth uh, bar. Yeah, yeah. How so, does that work out? So it's rotational. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, every fourth bar. Every fourth bar, I land back on one with you. So it, it just keeps moving. So my one is two on your count. And then right. I play and I rotate and I come back and my one is on the three. And then my one is on the four. Then my one is on one again. Right. Yeah. However that works out. I remember that song. This is maybe three bars. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so I did that and I was like, it, it was like, it was huge. It was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. And then <laughs> when I, when I, like when that happened, when that, I had that moment uh, it then changed the way I thought of time completely. Like that yeah. thing sparked a whole nother, like how I thought of time. And now I find myself, my personal feel, I like being back. It's just yeah. where I like to, I, I feel like I have space and it creates a nice, like just easy, mo- like chug, like I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but particular types of music have different feels. Like R and B is going to be more back, and then you're going to yeah. have um, bluegrass, which is going to be straight on top. I mean, right. or like punk or ska or something. That's like oh way yeah, on top. it's push, it push, it's yeah. it's just constantly behind you, pushing you through the song, right. <laughs> forcing right. you. Like we got to get to the end. Uh, but uh, anyways, all these, yeah. all the, everything that we talked about in this this episode here was directly related to. Uh, how in person, real time music making is important not to have it be lost art over the the ease of use of digital transfer or digital session work. Sure. I don't I think it ever will be, but I think it's something that if you that's all you know because you studied YouTube as a player <laughs> right. from the age right. of eight. Nine, yeah. ten, whatever. Yeah. And now you're doing Fiverr gigs or air gigs or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, Which is not anything wrong with that. Like, it's no. a great way to make money. But I just feel like you cannot undervalue uh, playing with people. No. Musically interacting with people in person in real time. Yeah. That makes, I mean, it, to me, that's the fun of it. Like, you know, I like doing sessions here by myself but there are times most of the time when i'm doing it, i'm like man it's be so much more fun if like i was in the room with people just having <laughs> like i'll be honest i told you this but like i'm i'm not when people ask me like what do you practice or how how often do you practice i am not an honest or i'm very honest in that i'm like i don't do it as much as i should yep. i hate I'm not a good like pro- I'm not a good spokesperson for drums because I'm not a fan of like drums on their own. Mm-hmm. I can only listen to myself play for like I don't know a few minutes 
my joy is like creating music with people. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I should definitely practice more than I should, but it's, it's tough from that uh, perspective of like, I can't just listen to just drums for an hour. Right. Not like, in the same I way mean, with guitar. I'm the same. Way. I, I hate it. Like the, the fun of music is, is playing with people. Not, it's not so much playing. I mean, I love drums, but it's not so much like playing that instrument that brings me joy. It's playing that instrument with other people in a room is what yeah. makes it fun. I think, you know what I think? I think, I think if you're like that, which I think there are a lot of us that are, if you're going to do anything, and I think you're this way and I am, is if you're not going to be in a room practicing shedding, right? Unless it's for a gig, that's a different, that's a totally yeah, yeah. different Yeah, if I'm learning songs or something, sure, but... But if there's the time in between that you're not doing any of that, uh, I think, honestly, the best thing you can do for yourself is just educate yourself. Like, yeah, just learn something new about what it is that music is why it is. Relative yes. uh, chords, relative uh, parts to one another. Why... Uh, these orchestra, orchestral pieces work in understanding this stuff and then taking that knowledge yep. back yep. to the people that you play music with. Yeah. I mean, it'll just enhance that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll make yeah. you a better player. Yeah. Make you a more well-rounded music. That's something I, I definitely regret is that I wish I would have – and I'm not saying it's too late. I, I should probably – devote more time to it. But I wish I would have taken piano slash music theory. Like I wish I would have put more time into that because if there's one insecurity I have about myself as, as a musician is like, I wish I had ears uh, to like hear stuff and just know what it is. Mm. Uh, like if I have to chart out a song, I mean, if I'm just charting it out for me, I'm just making a quick drum chart, which takes like one pass through a song and I've got it. But if I have to like chart out a song for a session for other players to read, I'm going to do like a number chart or whatever. Like I can't just sit down and listen to the song and chart it out. I have to be near a piano or a keyboard of some sort because I have to be able to find, okay, what key are we in? Establish the route. And and and, and I have to be able to 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 do that like I'm probably better at it now than I think I am but mm -hmm. I I still know that I freaking suck at it. And it's like the one thing that I I should spend more time developing. I will say this, uh, but for a drummer, you're exceptionally good at it. Like just Well, well thanks. I don't just, I feel like I'm just terrible saying. at it but but like to just be to just know like oh well this song's in this key and the the intro chord progression goes like this and then the verse changes or this and like you know somebody like you or Ben or whoever or like Reed they just they just go oh yeah it's like it's this and they have the whole song in like one pass and they can play it and it's like I mean I can do that on my instrument but I would love to be able to do that. I don't have to like be able to play piano, sure. but just to be able to chord through songs, mm. really, even if it was real Neanderthal, I don't care. But just to be able to know, 
You know, right. I can read a number chart just fine. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking at it and I'm hearing it, then I can go, oh, okay, well, I know what right. I know what the next chord's gonna sound yeah. like. Right. But but it's just there's I don't know. That's like the that's the one insecurity and the frustrating thing that is still like a, a musical thing I want to develop. More so than like anything on like that's like drum related in particular. I see. Well the real the real uh, key whenever I do that kind of stuff, it's a vis- it's all visual, right? It's every yeah. bit of it's visual. So I see, a, I see a fingerboard. Sure. And, sure. I, and from your, your thing, it would be seeing a keyboard, which I yeah. can't process that even though I've been like working on playing yeah. a bit. Not, I'm nowhere near good enough to do anything in front of anybody, but, uh, that, that's another thing I wish I would have done early on, but no one pushed me towards it. And I probably was probably too stubborn to do mm. it, but like, I would, I would love to be able to just pick up an acoustic guitar and like strum chords. But I, I think now, genuinely, I think this, that like, I don't know. I mean, because I have a guitar up here with a method book that used to be my brother-in-law's and I've sat down and tried to do it and I cannot make my fingers do some of those positions. Yeah, it's, it takes And I think at 37, I don't know, like they've been wrapped around a drumstick so long. <laughs> I don't know it like if I can do it. Right. You know, and then even when I have them all fretted the way they should be, I go to strum and it's like, plink, because, you know, I've got <laughs> sausage fingers that are like mute in a string that should be open. And it's just, but I do, I do wish that was something I learned to do. Because I think learning guitar and or piano de- will develop a whole other musical part of you if it's not the instrument you play, especially if you're a drummer, like I said before. But then I think that also would have developed more confidence in of in my voice as far as like singing. I don't ever aspire to be like a singer, but I, I you know, even to like voice, if I hear something in my head mm. and I want to sing something like, oh, what if you tried this on guitar as the hook or whatever? Right. There, there are a lot of times where I just swallow what I'm thinking because <laughs> the thought of vocalizing it is, is can still be terrifying. Sure. You know, I'm better at it. And if I'm around the right people, I feel comfortable doing it because they know that I can't sing. <laughs> but if I was like on a session with a bunch of people I didn't know or playing a gig and someone was like, hey, how's that? How's that lead in? And you're like, I know tune? exactly how that goes. I know I can hear it, but I'm not going to sing it to you because you're going to be like, what is up with this dude? This guy just growled at me. Some, some notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like, that's how it sounds in my head. I feel like, you know, Sweetums from the Muppets, the big tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel like my singing voice is. Hey, guys, wait up, guys. Like, hold on, guys. <laughs> yeah. But there was one other thing I wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about muscle memory, mm-hmm. you made me think of a, a story. And this is back when I was playing with Weaver. Man, I, I don't even remember what year it would have been, but it was in the summertime. It was July 4th, and we were playing at the stage on Broadway. And we, we probably had been doing that gig. We played there every Sunday and Tuesday for like five years. Uh huh. So we were definitely three or four years into that, like into that grind. And as I was driving down to that gig, I just remember feeling like the sickness come over me. Maybe it was before I left the house, but it was definitely not early enough that I could have called and been like, dude, there's no way I can do this gig. Like I have to get a sub. And I mean like sick, not like throwing up or anything, but just all of a sudden just feeling so exhausted, like no energy. Mm. And you talked about muscle memory. 
And I remember playing that entire three and a half hours from what well, we usually started right at like 11 and we went till about 220. Mm-hmm. I didn't open my eyes one time. No way. I, and I'm not joking. I mean, like I, I got up there, I got all my stuff set up. We sound checked. And, you know, that gig was a lot of he just called audibles all night. Like, right. And so I didn't look at corn. I didn't look at anybody on stage. I would hear him say what song was next. But I literally played the entire gig with my head down and my eyes closed. And I was using the least amount of energy. Possible. It was like, just just to get through it. But like I was so ingrained in me what we did. Uh-huh. That like. You know, I counted off the song and we played and I, it was almost like, I guess my point of that story was the relationship I had with the people in that band at that point, it didn't require even an actual visual connection. Wow. Our musical connection was, was there because we were playing the same, you know, 150 songs or whatever for four hours a night for four or five nights a week for three or four years. Like, so yeah, I, that's the only time it's ever happened to me. Like I just felt so exhausted. I just remember just play the gig, play Phil's. Oh my gosh. I'd hear him. I'd hear him say the next song. And if I started, I would count it off or, you know, Ben started or whatever. I would let him start it. (laughs) It was like one of the only nights that I, I didn't really play to a click because i would always have a click in my ears but i didn't even i think i didn't even set it up wow and oh and you know what this leads me to one more story and i know we're like at an hour already yeah but but talking about muscle memory i used to play this game with ben a lot on the weaver gig Uh uh-huh because we would i would be on a click but no one else in the band was because it was very rare that everyone on that band or in that band was on ears. Mm. It was usually just me mm-hmm. and Weaver, but the click would just go to me. I would mix it in myself, right? Mm-hmm. But like songs that Ben would start, like uh, Fishing in the Dark or like Pink Houses or any of those songs where it's just like a guitar intro for like, you know, the intro and the first verse and the band doesn't come into the chorus or whatever. Right. There would be nights where he would start and then I would start to click on the downbeat. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't give him the tempo. <laughs> and I would just see how long he could go. In and, time. Dude, in time. And I by the end of our tenure in that band, we had played those songs so much that like his strumming for those songs. It, the tempos were ingrained in him. Oh my! Like gosh. I can remember, you know, Pink Houses goes a long time before the band comes in. The mm. Mellencamp song. Yep. Or what's another one? Like Summer of '69. Yep. Okay. Yep. Like songs like that. I can remember he would start, and I would start to click on the downbeat. <laughs> and I, I would, I would not ever touch the hi hat to give him tempo. Kind of quarter notes, and we would just come in, and I would be astonished that, like, I mean. If it wavered, it was a little bit, but it was never like he got off. Wow. It might it might weave for a couple beats, but it would get back on. Wow. So like That's incredible. And that was never my intention. That was like a happy byproduct of like the band just got tighter because I was on a click. 
Wow. And so, you know, for years he, he would, I'd count it off or he, so a lot of time he would start it and then I would do it on the next bar and then give him hi-hat real subtly. But yeah, towards the end, there would be nights where I would just play that game to see how many songs or how long he could go on a song before I had to give him hi-hat. And there were definitely nights where I never had to give him hi-hat. That's crazy. That yeah. is so cool. It used to, it blew my mind. Cause I don't think I could do that. Like if someone said, Hey, play the song and I played the beat. I mean, maybe I could, I don't know, but I don't know if I could play a beat for like 20, 24 bars or whatever yeah, right. with someone else having the click going and me being on it the whole time. Like for certain it would waver at some point. <laughs> so it would always blow my mind. Amazing. Yeah. So oh <laughs> anyway, gosh. I had, yeah, I had a couple of those instances happen with the uh, Higby band. Yeah. It was pretty cool. It's pretty wild when it happens. Like when it happens the first time, it's like, you really can't believe it. And what yeah. with us, uh, it was quite amazing. Um, the click track, uh, for whatever reason, just stopped and, <laughs> um, everything was syncopated. So we had our mm. whole light show attached to this, right? And there was also backing tracks involved. Right. Nothing percussive on this particular song. <clears throat> and uh, we just kept chugging along. And Ringer was back there fiddling with the iPad yeah. trying to figure out, like, if right. there's a way to unmute it or whatever happened. Yeah. And uh, it was like... Through the verse, we got back to the chorus, and I got over to the computer and got it turned back on. And I'll be darned if we weren't like, yeah, pretty much on top of it. I mean, that's what happens when you play with the people all the time and you, you do something like, even if you're not trying to make that happen, you do it long enough, it happens. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I think all this can be related back to the fact of like, yes. The experience is playing with people. Playing with people versus the digital world that we live in now, yeah. which yeah. not saying any negative or positive about it's just, you know, the difference and how important right. it is to have, I think, both and have a good balance of both. Yeah. Especially after COVID, you, right? Oh, man, I can't wait to get back out there. Mm. We'll tell you what, though. I, uh, <laughs> I really got a piece. So I think this is a good place to end. A good share. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Good Share Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or just enjoyed the podcast in general, give us uh, five stars or thumbs up or whatever it is that you can do through the apparatus that you're using. If you happen to be watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell. Uh, you can also find more content and more about the podcast at www.goodsharepodcast.com.